Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained, the When the Group Chat Goes Public edition. This week, we're talking about which former Democratic mayor thinks Dave Yost is an asshat, when Ohioans can start carrying concealed weapons without a permit, whether primary ballots are actually going out, and who Larry Householder keeps texting. Joining me this week is reporter Laura Bischoff, who is super motivated and plans to run a 5K after we finish recording. Welcome back, Laura. Yeah, happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone. Yeah, and happy birthday to my husband. I'm just going to give him a shout out. He is a St. Patrick's Day baby. Alrighty. So we will be celebrating and you will be running. But first, let's talk about our first topic, which is what happens when a group chat becomes a public record? Well, six current and former Democratic mayors found out this week. Our colleague Jesse Balmert made a records request for a text message thread that spanned nearly two years. And the mayors of Columbus, Cincinnati, Akron, Dayton, Toledo, and Youngstown chatted about public corruption scandals, COVID, mask mandates. They gossiped about the governor and other state officials. And the example I gave in the lead was former Dayton Mayor Nan Raley, who is now running to be Ohio governor, called Attorney General Dave Yost an asshat for suing President Biden's administration over stimulus restrictions. Yeah, there's so much to love about this story. Jesse did a great job. She, what she wanted to do was to kind of pull back the curtain on the relationship between Nan Whaley and John Cranley. Um, they have been longtime friends, and you might want to say that they're sort of frenemies now since they're competing for the same job, which is the Democratic nomination for governor. And the city of Cincinnati uh, turned over a trove of texts. and um, you Hundreds know, of texts. Hundreds of texts, and Jesse did a great job of kind of weeding through them, making sense of them, and and kind of tying it all together in a, in a narrative that shows how they were at times snarky and profane and witty and concerned. They talked about politics and COVID and gun policy and... They definitely took some pot shots at Republicans. It's just a fascinating read. Yeah, and they even prayed for each other and sometimes and reached out in difficult moments. But yeah, there was a lot of that um, sort of opining on legislation, specifically like gun legislation. So the, the Akron's mayor texted that DeWine was an SOB, which I think we all know what that stands for, after he signed the Stand Your Ground law. And then Whaley quipped that you, he can't win a primary without the NRA. So it was a lot of the things that perhaps they they think, but we don't actually hear from their public persona. Right. And, um, you know, let's just remind people that text messages among public officials where they're kind of discussing public policy and, and operations of, um, of government, those are public records. And so, um, you know, public records laws really became very popular after Watergate. And um, it, we all benefit from transparency and sunlight in, uh, on public records, in my opinion. Yeah. And I would mention that if you're going to email your legislator, uh, sometimes we capture those as part of our public records records requests. So just be aware that someone else may actually be reading that nasty note that you send to your state lawmaker. What was your favorite text out of the group chat? Oh, well, it is, you know, it is hard to pick. I don't I don't know if favorite is the right word, but one that struck me as particularly interesting was sort of the reaction to um, the arrest of Larry Householder and some of the corruption stuff that has come out and also just sort of the, the weird joking as other local officials became arrested. I think uh, John Cranley responded, welcome to the club when Toledo had some public corruption arrests. Yeah, that was the Toledo mayor, uh, Wade Kapsikavich. He announced on the group chat, oh, I won't be able to make the call. The FBI just arrested fully one third of my city council on bribery slash extortion. And John Cranley responded, wow, welcome to the club. <laughs> 
it's a very open, like honest look at what it's like to run a major city in Ohio. And I get it. Like they say presidents, like former presidents talk to each other because they understand the job. I also think it's it's kind of refreshing because a lot of times what we hear them say in public is just so filtered and polished. And it, none of this is really surprising, but I, no. I did appreciate the candor that was in those texts. And we'll probably never see it again because now they know we're looking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Our second topic is Ohio's concealed carry law. It's going away on June 12th. Well, technically, the permit process is becoming optional. So right now, you need to take an eight-hour training class, which includes some time at a shooting range, pass a background check, and be issued a physical permit to carry a gun like in your purse or underneath your jacket. Republicans thought that was an unfair burden on the Second Amendment, so they wrote a law to eliminate it, and DeWine signed it this week. Yeah, you know, this... Um CCW law, um, carrying concealed weapons permit law, it passed initially in 2004. Um, and then ever since then, there has been kind of like a adding, mostly adding to it, expanding where you can carry your weapons, um, reducing the amount of training time required, etc. And it shows the success of the gun lobby over time to kind of build upon that. But this this idea of having a permitless carry program, that has been around for more than 20 years. Um, I think that Jim Aslanides and Tom Brinkman, two Republicans, back in the 90s were pushing for this. And they used to, back then they called it Vermont style because I think the state of Vermont was the only one that had it. <laughs> yeah, there are 21 states that allow it currently. So Ohio will be number 22. Our third topic, of course, is redistricting, because we can't get through a podcast these days without some breaking news in the ongoing saga to draw boundaries for the state and federal districts. So as of this recording on St. Patrick's Day, the state House and Senate maps have been tossed back by the Supreme Court for a third time. Ballots are set to be mailed to overseas voters tomorrow, and no one has any idea if they can go out, if they should go out, whether we're going to move the primary, whether the federal government is about to slap us for not meeting deadlines. Basically, it's a big mess. Yeah, the third time was definitely not the charm for this. They're going back to the drawing board. Uh, they have a new deadline of March 28th. Um, and the majority opinion, which was authored by what was like by the court and, and in the majority was Jennifer Bruner, Michael Donnelly, Melody Stewart, the three Democrats, and Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor. That's the majority that's been kind of sticking together on on this throughout for both legislative maps and congressional maps. And it the majority said that they should should, they can't order this, but they should do this in public, redraw the maps, and then work all together. In the past iterations, it's mostly been legislative leaders and their staff that have been kind of driving the bus on this. You know, this this ruling that came out late on Wednesday, like after 9.30 at night, also included a pretty blistering dissent from Republicans uh, Pat DeWine and Sharon Kennedy. They accused their colleagues in the majority of supplanting the, the will of the voters with their own policy preferences and said, in doing so, it threatens the very legitimacy of this court. They also said that the majority's decree today is an exercise of raw political power, nothing less, nothing more. So it definitely seems like there is a major fraction on the court. And um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what's going to happen. Because like you said, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah. You know, we've been, uh, our colleagues have been calling around all day trying to figure out what's happening with the May primary because literally ballots are supposed to be shipping to overseas Ohioans. This is mostly military folks who are stationed out of the country. Yeah. I think it's tomorrow. about, I think it's about a thousand voters who are, are overseas. And, you know, there's a question about whether or not if you start an election by mailing those ballots out, can you stop it without disenfranchising 
them or confusing them. So yeah, there's a lot of questions about are the lawmakers going to move the primary? The legislature, that's its prerogative. And then, you know... Are we going to have two primaries? One primary? That's the other question. Well, you know, two primaries has a cost to it. It, it would cost the taxpayers an extra $25 million or so. And it's a heavy lift for all the boards of elections to, to do this. And it might be confusing for voters as well. The argument for keeping the May 3rd primary isn't just for the statewides who are tired of campaigning during the primary, um, but also there's a lot of like boards of um, school boards and local levies and library levies and things like that that may be on the May 3rd primary and that these little public entities or large public entities are planning they need an answer so that they can kind of figure out what their what their budget is. Yeah, especially because fiscal years tend to end in June, so they would probably be using that money or the planning for it into their next budget. Right. And then there's also, you know, I think there's some there's a risk of some pushback by lawmakers against Maureen O'Connor. She's been the chief justice since 2011 and been on the court since 2003. She's a former prosecutor, former lieutenant governor. By pushback, you mean there's some whispers about potential impeachment. Yeah, and I think that would be a pretty extreme um, extreme move. Yeah. You know, and keep in mind, since it's Women's History Month, I'll say that Maureen O'Connor has, when she leaves the court uh, at the end of the year, she will have served in statewide elected office uh, longer than any woman in Ohio history and longer than most men who have held office in Ohio as well. And over the years, she's used her position as chief to focus on kind of sweeping matters of justice, such as fair administration of the death penalty, um, the fair administration and application of um, bail and fines and fees. Um, and she's also working on this criminal justicing, uh, criminal sentencing database project, which is um, for us reporters would be really fantastic for that ever. And she's done ground. some work on diversion courts, right? And like getting people into treatment rather than the criminal system. Right. So she, I mean, she has, um, you know, she's tried to use the, um, the position of chief to, to, um, you know, shore up the judiciary and make sure that it's fair for all Ohioans. So our fourth and final topic is former Speaker Larry Householder. As a quick reminder, Householder was arrested on public corruption charges in July 2020. He was removed from the Ohio House about a year later, and now he's awaiting trial in January of 2023 on whether he and a couple of other men in his circle spent about $60 million in what is essentially been called a bribe to get First Energy a billion-dollar bailout. So Householder's at home, awaiting trial, but that doesn't mean he isn't keeping tabs on the legislature. Laura got a series of text messages that Householder recently sent out about a data privacy bill. Yeah, so this started um, in mid-February, the Republican caucus, you know, they debate in private over, you know, bills that are going to hit the floor. And this data privacy bill, which is uh, sponsored by Republican Rick Carfagna, who just took a job with the Ohio Chamber. Now, Rick Carfagna opposed Larry Householder for speaker, opposed that bailout bill for the nuclear energy, and also supported Householder's uh, expulsion. So no love lost. It's safe to say that Rick and Larry <laughs> are not besties. But anyway, we found out that there was, um, that Householder had been texting Jay Edwards and, about his concerns on Carfagna's bill and that uh, Jay Edwards spoke in caucus against the bill. Now, you know, the Ohio Capital Journal asked for Jay Edwards's texts and, you know, they were told there's no responsive records. And I think it's because Jay Edwards deletes his texts. So I decided to go ahead and ask for a broader you know, group of people and asked for texts <laughs> between Householder and about two dozen Republicans. And four of them came back uh, with texts. And it shows 
I mean, all of this is to show that Householder, even though he was the first lawmaker expelled from the House in more than 150 years and he's facing federal racketeering charges, he still has pull with some Republicans in the Ohio House. And one more thing before you go. Laura's got a message from the late Peg Rosenfield, a longtime volunteer for the League of Women Voters who passed away on Sunday. Yeah, so uh, Peg was a fierce advocate for voting rights and fair elections and open government. And she had a real sharp mind and a keen sense of, um, of humor. And her obituary, which was published in, in the dispatch, said that she died after a long battle with the Ohio legislature. <laughs> I love that. Some other reporters and I swung by her uh, graveside service this week, and League of Women Voters director Jen Miller acted as kind of the MC. And she said at the end that Peg wanted to make sure her last words were uttered at the service, and those would be, don't let the SOBs gerrymander Ohio. So we give the last word to Peg Rosenfield. 